Welcome to the Grace High School Podcast. This semester, we are continuing in our series, In Defense of the Faith. Welcome back to our normal Wednesday night program. We've had a couple weeks off. Time to get back into the groove of things. Guys, y'all are like more than halfway through your, like two-thirds of the way through your semester, right? Like Christmas break. Christmas break is not that far away. So y'all have, y'all have endured this far, so good job. Hey guys, we're getting back into our series, In Defense of the Faith. And so we've covered probably six, I believe, questions at this point. And so tonight, we're picking back up in our series, In Defense of the Faith. And we're going to look at the question of exclusion or exclusivism. And so what do I mean by exclusive, exclusivism? Really, it comes down to this question. Is Jesus the only way to salvation? And that's what we're, we're going to look at tonight. Is Jesus the only way to salvation? And one of the challenging aspects of this question, if not the most challenging aspect of this question, has to do with the fairness of what we're talking about. Is it fair for Jesus to be the only way to salvation? And, and with this question comes several more questions, like a lot of these uh, topics that we've covered, they sort of bring more questions with them. And so when we ask the question, is it fair that Jesus is the only way to salvation, that brings the question, uh, the, the native tribesman example that, that you'll sometimes hear referred to. If there was a, a person in a remote village or jungle or island somewhere uh, over the course of history and had no knowledge of the gospel and no way to hear about Jesus, does that person go to hell for not hearing the gospel? And is that fair? Another question that, that unfortunately we probably won't be able to cover tonight, though if you have questions about it after, please come see me, um, is a question like, what about babies who die in infancy? So a child is born and never gets the chance to grow up and get to a point where they can understand and comprehend the gospel and they never hear it, and then they die young, and, and what happens to those children? So that brings that question too. But ultimately it comes down to the question, is any of this fair? Is it fair for any of this to happen? When we, when we open our Bibles and we look and see what the Scriptures say about these questions and the answers that it provides, are they fair? And that's where we'll land at the end. So we're going to begin, and, and really, we're just going to take this lesson basically one question at a time and move through it. So we're going to begin with the question, is Jesus the only way to salvation? And so we're going to start in John 14. So if you want to turn there, we're in John 14. And we're looking at verse 6, and I've double-checked on the verse on this, so this is the right verse this time. I'm not going to read the wrong verse to you guys. So John 14, verse 6, reads like this. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so... When we ask the question, is Jesus the only way to salvation, and then we read this verse, it's pretty plain and simple right there. We don't have to do a lot of digging, a lot of studying. It's right there. Is Jesus the only way to salvation? Well, that's what he says. Yes. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So what he's saying is, hey, you want to know God? Come through me. I am that way for you to know God. And on the other side of that, what he's saying is there are no other ways, no other systems. What he's eliminating for us are these other religions, these other paths, 
these other uh, modes of working our way towards salvation. So what he's saying is, look, you want to you make it to eternal life? You want to have salvation? You want to you know God? You want to have that redemptive relationship between you and God, the Creator? What you cannot do is go through, say, something like jihad, right? So, so you can't, you can't um, do what the, the Muslims call jihad and, and hope to, to gain eternal life and, as a reward for your, your work or your sacrifice. You can't go through uh, Buddhism. You can't hope to make it to nirvana and obtain nirvana and, and make it to God through Buddhism. And then there aren't any, any religions, anything that tells you, hey, if you do this much, if you, if you pay this much, if you work this hard, that you'll make it to God. There are no other paths. And so if you're hoping to get to the end of your life and see that your good works have outweighed your bad and that you're standing before God and those scales tip just enough in your favor to stay there in, in heaven and eternal life, that's not how it works. Jesus is saying there are no other ways except through me. And what does he mean by that? We'll look uh, a little bit more in depth here in a minute. But, but what about that statement? What about that verse and that answer to this question? Is Jesus the only way? And we, we see right here, Jesus says, no, there's no other way besides me. What about that answer still makes us a little uncomfortable, where we still maybe go, I don't know if I think that's fair. I don't know if that makes sense to me. Well, it takes us to this next question, which is, what about the innocent person who was born and, and lived and died in a, in a context, in a place and a time, where they never heard the gospel. What do we do with that person? What do we do with the tribesmen in the remote village or jungle or island who never heard the gospel? What do we do with that person? And, and if we want to really get to the heart of what we're asking, we might ask the question this way. What about the innocent person who never hears the name of Jesus? Because that's what we're asking. We're asking, does God send innocent people to hell? That's what we want to know. When we ask this question, we're asking does God send innocent people to hell? And, and one pastor puts it this way. He says, no, of course not. Of course God doesn't send innocent people to hell. Not by a long shot. God does not send innocent people to hell. But the problem is there are no innocent people. But where do we see that in Scripture? If you, if you want to turn over to Romans chapter 1, and in Romans Paul is, is establishing the gospel right now. He, what he's going to do in Romans 1, he's going to introduce this idea that sets us up for the gospel message. And in Romans 1, beginning at verse 18, Paul says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And so what Paul is saying to this point, what he's describing is what we call general revelation. And we've talked about this in past lessons, but general revelation simply means what God reveals or shows everyone. So no matter who you are, where you are throughout history, where you are on planet Earth, you have received general revelation. And what Paul says is namely through creation. Namely, so, so we look around and creation is general revelation. Through creation, any one of us can look around and see this has been created and there must be a creator. That is the logical next step. And so God says, 
I have provided you with that evidence. That's the general revelation to show you that I am creator. Another form of general revelation would be our conscience, our moral compass within us, where we say, that seems right, that seems wrong. It's the same thing that causes us to look at some of these questions and go, I don't know if that seems fair. It's this idea of morality. We have right and wrong written on our hearts, and that is from God. That is because we are the image bearers of God. And so that moral compass on our hearts, that comes from him. That's general revelation that points us to a moral and a just God. And so that is another form of general revelation. And because of this general revelation, Paul goes on to say this. Uh, in verse 20, he, sa- he finishes, uh, so they are without excuse. When, when people can look around and see who God is in creation, they are without excuse. But that's not where he stops. In verse 21, he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Guys, what Paul is describing here is the history of humanity in their rebellion. He's describing the depravity of man, the state that we find ourselves in right now and how we got here. Think back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They had full access to God. They had him walking alongside him. Everything was perfect. And then when presented with the opportunity to choose self over God, they took it. And that is the choice that we all make. Because of the sin nature in our hearts, this is our natural state. We will, when given the choice, choose self over God. That doesn't mean every one of us is walking around committing evil deeds and and hurting people and, and taking advantage of people. There's no selfless people anywhere to be found. But it means... When it comes to our relationship with God and presented with the opportunity to choose him or ourselves, we choose self. And so God created people to have this desire, this longing in their hearts for him. God created us that way. And we went out and we said, you know what? I'm going to go fulfill it somewhere else. I'm going to go seek satisfaction for this whole, this longing in my heart with something else. And that's the state of where we find ourselves. And so we pursue lots of things. We pursue money. We pursue power. We we pursue popularity. We pursue beauty. We pursue sex. We pursue pleasure. We pursue all kinds of things, hoping and thinking that those things will satisfy us. But then, deep down in our hearts, we know if we look around, if we look around at the people who have all of the things that we want, and we think, if I had that, I would be happy. I would be fulfilled. I wouldn't want anything else. If we look at the people like that, They want things too. It's not enough. They still lead broken lives. They still still cheat. They still lie. They still uh, seek to gain more because what they have is not enough. We can't be fulfilled by those other things that we pursue. And that is not how God created us. He created us to fulfill those things with a relationship with him. And so this Romans 1 just shows that broken state that we find ourselves in. It just describes, hey, this is why there is no one innocent. And he goes on in Romans 3.23, and he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so God gave us a standard. He gave us a law. And he didn't give us the law because he just wanted to test us and say, hey, are you, uh, 
Are you going to do what I say? Hey, this is, this is how I want you. I'm going to give you all these what now seem to us like strange commands. I'm going to see if you'll do them, just, just to see. What God did was he gave us the law to be a mirror for us. I'm going to give you a law, and if you want to come through, uh, if you want to come to me, if you want to be perfect, that's, that's how to do it. Obey every one of these laws. And so, really, when we go back to this question, is Jesus the only way? The simple answer is yes, Jesus is the only way, but the more complicated answer is no. Jesus is not the only way. There is another way for us to obtain salvation. It's perfection. It is to obey the law perfectly. And if we do that, we can have salvation. We don't need Jesus. But what the law shows us is that we cannot be perfect. We cannot live up to it. And so what we see happen is God looks down and he says, okay, I'm going to step in. You can't do this. You can't be perfect. But you know what? I am perfect. So I'm going to step down into your broken world. I'm going to suffer the pain and the sorrows that you have in this life. I'm going to take on the temptations that you face, and I'm going to withstand them, and then I'm going to go to the cross. And because I was perfect in my life, when I go to the cross, what I can do there is take all of your sins on me, and I can exchange your sins for my perfection, and that's what you get when you put your faith in Jesus. And that is how God responded. And so when we look at this question of what about the innocent person and we realize there's no innocent people and then we go, well, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair that God would allow someone. It's not fair that God would, would not reveal himself to a person and then send them to hell. But see, the problem is our sense of fairness, first of all, it comes from somewhere, right? We talked about the moral compass. Our sense of fairness comes from a moral and a just God who has a standard of right and wrong. And it's only because of that that we can even look around and say something is fair or not fair, something's right or something's wrong. That's the only reason that we can even do that. But when we look at this situation, when we look around and we go, it doesn't seem fair that someone could live and die and never hear the name of Jesus and they go to hell for that? Well, the problem with that is that fair would say that because we are all unrighteous, because we all fall short of the glory of God. Fair would be for God to step back and say, okay, I'm going to turn you over to the desires of your heart. You're going to choose self over me. I'm going to let you pursue that. And the reality is, you and I, for most of our lives, would probably be pretty happy with that, right? If God just said, okay, you can do what you want. You don't have to follow me. I'm not going to to force myself on you. I'm not going to make this hard for you. You do what you want. That's what you're going to choose. That's what you get. And for a lot of us, we might be pretty happy with that for a while. We might get to go ahead and pursue all those things that we think are going to make us happy, and for a while they might. But like I said, we look around and we know that's not true. At the end of the day, there's so much evidence in this world that points to the contrary. That those things that we pursue, when God, when God says, look, you want to chase your desires? Go for it. Those things will never fulfill us. And so fair would have been for God to say, fine, pursue them, take them, they're yours, you can have them. But you know what? There's no eternal life in that. And when, when it comes to the judgment seat, when you die and you stand before God, what he's going to see are your sins because you fell short of the glory of God. And because of that, you cannot obtain eternal life. 
But God is not just fair. God is gracious. And in his grace, God stepped in and offered a sacrifice and said that's not how it has to be. And so we look around and we say, it doesn't seem fair for God to do these things, but you know what? It's not fair for God to step in and intervene. It's not fair for God to offer us salvation at all. And so when we, when we look around and we say, God didn't reveal himself to everybody, and that doesn't seem fair, that should be our response. That God isn't just fair, but he's gracious. And so for any of us to have salvation is amazing. But while we're, while we're talking about this, one thing I, I do want to say, because we, we still have trouble wrapping our minds around this. We still have trouble uh, understanding how God can, can reveal himself to certain people, say people who were born uh, in and around the, the area where Jesus lived, and they actually saw him walk around and they heard him preach, right? Those are the quote-unquote luckiest people to ever live, right, according to this. Or, or people like you and me who maybe grew up in church and there was almost no way we weren't going to hear the name of Jesus. And so for us, we got lucky, right? We sort of won the lottery in that way. But what about the people who don't have that going for them? What about the people who are, who are born outside of this? Well, we know there's no innocent people. But something else that, that, that's worth noting, uh, we talked about general revelation. General revelation is is when God reveals something to anyone at any time in the world. But special revelation, that's, that's another kind of revelation. Special revelation is something that God doesn't necessarily show every single person at any given time. And so the most uh, famous uh, form of special revelation would be the Bible. It's the most well-known form of special revelation. Not every person throughout history has had access, access to a Bible. And so the Bible is a form of special revelation. Another form a special revelation might be that missionary who goes into that remote village or that remote jungle. Like a Jim Elliot who goes into South America into a remote village and, and says, hey, I know you've never heard the name of Jesus, but I'm here to share that with you. I'm here to tell you about who he is and what he's done. And so maybe special revelation is, comes in the form of a missionary or a, or a pastor or somebody bringing that gospel news to a person who wouldn't otherwise hear it. But then there are other forms of special revelation, and there's lots, I won't list them all, but one other form that I'll talk about real quick, just, just to show you that there are other ways that the Bible allows for people to know Jesus. Uh, right now, over in the Middle East, there are a lot of reports, a lot of stories, uh, books being written about these reports of Muslims who are having recurring dreams night after night for weeks at a time where they say Jesus comes to them in a dream and says, I want you to follow me. And now, you and I can look at that and go, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if that's authentic. Maybe not. But we're talking about people who wouldn't become believers otherwise, who wouldn't become Christians otherwise, who are Muslims, militant Muslims, saying, this Jesus came to me in a dream, and I'm going to leave my Muslim faith, and I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to follow him. And then, then they go find that pastor or that Bible, and they begin to grow in their faith. But they become believers because of a special revelation. And so... While we, we do know there, there must be, there must be people throughout history who live and die and never hear the name of Jesus. I'm not saying that's not the case. 
But the Bible does allow for special revelation for some of those people to hear the name of Jesus. We don't know who will or who won't. And anytime someone receives that special revelation of, of who Jesus is, of what he's done, of his gospel message, that is God's grace on them because he doesn't have to do that. And so we, we come to, uh, to this question again. Um, I can't spend time on it. I would love to talk to you about it afterwards. If, if you want to, but this question of what happened to, to children, what happened to babies who die young, that's another area that, that becomes really difficult with this. And I'll just tell you, uh, because we don't have a lot of time, and I'll just kind of summarize uh, the, the, the answer to that issue is that um, we feel like God, looking at the scriptures, um, make room for what we call the age of accountability, where children, uh, we don't know when it happens, there's no specific age that every person will reach in their life, uh, but there's this thing that we call the age of accountability. And before a person reaches that age of accountability, we think God um, essentially provides a grace to that person, that they, they do not pay for what they do not know. They're, they're held accountable for what they know or what they don't know. Um, and, and so we see evidence of that in the Scriptures. If you want to know about that, please come talk to me after. Um, but that's another issue that comes with this. But ultimately, uh, we ask the question, is it fair? Is, is this fair? And we see throughout the gospel, throughout uh, when we look at human depravity, when we look at the state that we're in, that there's no one innocent, that God doesn't have to do anything to offer salvation to any of us. And so is it fair for God to, to establish things this way? No, but it's gracious. It's beyond fair for us. And we're all blessed if we have heard and received that gospel message, which brings me to my final point, and it's, it's this. How do we respond to this? What do we do with this information? When, when we look through all of this, and maybe we've struggled with this, maybe we haven't, what do we do with the information that we've just heard? And I would say three things, and then we're done, okay? The first thing is that it means if you are in Christ, so if, if you, uh, having been someone who is dead in their trespasses, and have heard and received the gospel message that Christ came, lived in this world a perfect sinless life, went to the cross, paid the debt of your sins, died and resurrected so that you could have eternal life. If that's you, be thankful. Be grateful. Because obviously we, we've looked at this and not everyone gets that. And so be grateful that that's you. But the second thing that I want to talk about and how we respond to this is I want you to look around your life, the places where you live your life, the places where you find yourself most often. I want you to look around, and I want you to find the places where Christ's name is not known. It's not preached. Who do you know who might not have heard about Jesus, who might not have received this revelation of who he is? Who do you know? And, and again, this doesn't mean you're looking around for a corrupt and depraved people who are going around killing people and taking what they want. We're not, we're not necessarily looking for, for purely evil people. We're just talking about where are the people in your life who may not know this? Because if God is trying to bring the gospel to them, and he will, we'll talk about that in the third point, but if he is bringing the gospel to them, maybe he's giving you the opportunity to be part of that. Maybe he's giving you the opportunity to, to take part in that. So the, the final thing in terms of our response to this is to trust in God's sovereignty. As confusing as this can be, 
you know, we've looked at this, we've gotten some answers. Maybe those aren't enough for you to, to really uh, satisfy where you're at and the, the confusion and the questions that you're asking. Maybe that's not quite enough. But I want you to trust in God's sovereignty. I want you to know that God has a plan and that he's in control. Because if you are in Christ, then he's already reached out and saved you. And maybe he's got plans to use you in that way in someone else's life too. But trust in God's plan because he knows what he's doing and he's, and he's perfectly in control. Let's pray.